So welcome to Denton North Church. We're glad you're here. This is Brad's first day back from his sabbatical, so you can, you can talk to him now and look at him and stuff. So I know we've all been missing doing that. Um, so the first announcement we have today is that we have actually three, last week we announced just one of them, we have three different teacher classroom supply lists, Amazon lists or whatever. So Garvin and Rita and Andrea all have those. So we'll send all those out in the newsletter this week so that you guys can, can help provide some books or supplies or whatever else for different classrooms. Super cool way to have a tangible way to help. So uh, we'll send all of those out in the newsletter this week. So if you're looking for that, it'll have all three links to it. So um, the Denton North Church Retreat, like we talked about last week, yeah, is going to be on the 23rd and 24th of October. So uh, please put those in your calendar. One of the first questions we got about this was like, what about COVID, what will it look like then? We don't know. So we're just going to have to adjust things as needed, depending on how that goes. But we want to plan into the future and earmark those days and and block off that weekend no matter what. So that even if we have to make some changes, that's fine. But we do not want to miss the chance to try to do a retreat all together. So put this in your calendar. Tell your mom you're not coming home that weekend because you've got other plans. Amen? So the, uh, the next thing is we are going to spend the next three to four minutes filling out a survey, specifically signing up for small groups for the fall. Heyo! So our small groups for the summer are ending the week of August 16th, and then there'll be a two-week just kind of buffer break time, and then we will start our fall small groups. So if you want to be in a small group this fall, actually they go all year long, please fill this out right now. We'll just do it all together right now. Take a couple minutes. We don't have to ask you a bunch of weeks in a row. So dentnorthchurch.com slash smallgroups. Can I get a thumbs up from somebody that they actually worked, that the link work is working? Yes. Thank you, Grant. dentnorthchurch.com slash smallgroups. Ask you if you want to be in one, ask you some details about that, and also asks for people who are willing to help lead them. So we'll keep that open for a couple weeks. Thank you guys for filling that out. The last thing we're going to do is just pass the, pass the digital offering basket. So the way we're still doing our offering basket right now is dentnorthchurch.com slash donate. That's an easy way for you to give a one-time gift super fast or set up a recurring gift, whatever is your preference. And um, thank you guys so much for being pretty faithful during this, this summertime when a lot of our people are gone uh, and we've been able to cover the cost. And so we appreciate y'all continuing to do that. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this chance to meet together. And uh, gosh, thank you just for, um, for taking us through such a difficult season. Lord, we pray that as things look a little crazy right now, again, that um, God, that we just ask that you would protect us, protect the most vulnerable in our communities, please. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, we, we just pray that you would um, allow uh, a way for us to all to, to stay together, to, um, to continue to be connected and to stay on mission for what you've called us to do as a church. Um, uh, regardless of what that looks like. And Lord, we just ask that you protect us as a church. And um, Lord, we just thank you for the chance to worship you together and to, to hear um, your word preached. Lord, I just ask that you would help change our hearts and open our hearts. And Lord, thank you for Garrett. Please just ask that you would uh, bless him and speak through him today. And uh, in your name I pray, amen. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Garrett. Uh, if you have uh, not met me before, I haven't met you, um, my name is Garrett. Uh, <laughs> I'll go around now and shake hands with everyone that I have not met. Um, 
Uh, I am. I just joined the, the Denton North staff. Uh, I preached here a, a few weeks ago, uh, but I see some new faces, and so um, if I don't know you, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to come up and, and say hi to you after church, but please recognize how much more difficult it is with masks. Uh, so if I introduce myself to you again, um, I apologize. Uh, it's because all I have to go off of is maybe your, your fashion decisions. Um, so... And I don't, I don't make many of those, as you can see. Uh, I like to stay right around neutral. Uh, so, so does Josh, apparently. Josh is wearing the exact same outfit as me today. He went ahead and put a jacket on, though, because he's um, apparently an elderly librarian. Okay, so uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, you know, we've, we've been doing this sermon series on James. And, um, you know, last week, I believe, Leslie preached out of James 5. She just skipped, just blatantly skipped James 4 because it didn't suit her. Uh, and so I got slapped with James 4, uh, which is a, a pretty difficult chapter. Actually, you know what? James is just a difficult epistle uh, now that I think about it. Um, but uh, I'm going to be preaching out of James 4 today, uh, specifically uh, out of the sections uh, or verses 4 and following. Not that I don't like the rest uh, of James, it's just that you can only preach on so much, especially if you're me and you can talk at length about, again, any given thing. Uh, mostly just hot air, though, for the most part. So um, I want to remind you guys uh, from what I said last week around engaging with the Word of God. Um, it, it, I remember telling you guys the story of my friend who would always get chapped lips. You guys remember that? And he would get chapped lips and he would get the, um, the chapstick and it would burn him every time. He got like the mint version of it. Um, he didn't need to. He could have just gotten the normal version. But in his mind, the mint version, which burned the worst, was the one that he goes, that's how you know it's working. Um, so he would needlessly do that. Now, this is not the same thing. But in the scripture, I do think the more that it burns, the more that it stings, the more you know you're actually allowing it to penetrate your heart. If you can read the word of God and not feel a little bit called out, uh, then you are either A, just way holier than the rest of us, or B, perhaps it's not fully penetrating your heart because you have some sort of wall up between you and it. I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.12 where presumably Paul says, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Think about that for a moment, right? That of all the things that the scripture could be compared to, that the word of God could be compared to, and in Revelation this happens over and over again. In fact, you even have imagery of a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth whenever he returns to judge us, is the word of God is this penetrating thing, and that it should be cutting us a little bit, is the best way I can think to put it. And James is certainly a cutty epistle. (laughs) It's one that if you listen to what he's actually saying, and allow it to be spoken to you and internalize it in your heart, it should create some real challenges. Um, and, and, you know, I, I had, you know, Grant texted me after my last sermon and said that he was going to be walking with a limp for a few weeks. Um, and I don't, I don't want it to appear as if I myself don't walk with limps after I engage the word of God either. 
you know, I've, I've, I've quoted this thing ad nauseum at this point, but it's so good. It's the Mark Twain quote, once again, it ain't the parts of scripture I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do. Uh, and likewise, it's the same thing here. Whenever I read the word of God, I feel incredibly convicted because I realize how far from it my heart is typically. I realize whenever I actually look at my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, I realize how different they are than the heart of God, and it makes me a little bit worried, and it convicts me, and I think it should do that for you as well. Um, As a side note here too, I'm gonna repeat some things that I said in my last sermon, and it turns out that repetition, even though it is also the friend of the adult learner, as you guys have heard numerous times, is something that, you know, you know, Paul even says it to the churches sometimes. He says, it doesn't bother me to repeat these things again to you because they are a safeguard to you. Likewise, if you hear me with any regularity repeating something, you can assume that it's because I see something in this body that needs to be repeated. And if you ever want to come and talk to me about what I see or about what it is that that is, I would love to, to have a conversation with you about that. Um, Today, I'm going to do something with my points that are a big no-no with preaching, okay? I'm going to do something that's a big no-no with preaching. In preaching, you're supposed to preach in uh, the first-person plural, like we, us, our, uh, and that's supposed to come across as less um, intense, as saying you this or you that. But with with the, the heart of James, I'm going to make the part, I'm going to make the, the points, you points today, so that you can internalize them. And again, I'm not excusing myself from these points, as I just said, but rather, it's different whenever we need to blah, 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 versus you need to do that. And James, if there was ever an epistle writer who was a you kind of writer, right? The same guy who says, you adulterous people, uh, with regularity, then it's, then it's him. And I think oftentimes in our preaching, we can use intellectualism as a way to cover up the actual convicting message that needs to be spoken to the hearts of each one of us, right? We don't, I, and trust me, I would much rather be good cop than bad cop. I really do prefer that. Like, I would love to come and preach peace, peace, whenever there is only destruction, and I, I really would. I don't, I don't want to gain a, uh, a, a reputation for being a fire and brimstone preacher. I don't think I have that reputation. Um, but if I come and I preach something that's different than what you typically hear, uh, perhaps that is a, a service to the church at best. And if it's not, and if I've done or said anything that inaccurately depicts Jesus, then that is by no intention of my own. But I am broken I'm not perfect. I assume that any number of things that I think at any given time must be wrong. I just don't know what those things are. I wish I did. If you could name something you were wrong about, then you wouldn't be wrong about it anymore because you would change your mind, would you not? Likewise, we all share in that same fate. So I'll do the best that I can to let the word preach to you. And if anything, in my preaching, I hope that that's what you see, that I take you to the word, that I include more of the words of God than I do my own. So let's start by looking at James 4, starting in verse 4. We're just going to be in that section 4, 4 through 12 is where we're going to be today. 
So James 4, starting in verse 4. James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? My first point is this. You can't follow Jesus while looking and sounding like our culture. You can't follow Jesus if you look and you sound like our culture. Any vast swath of our culture, any big section of our culture. If Jesus showed up today, I guarantee you, he would neither look nor sound like anybody else that you were listening to. That was a part of the problem. Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. You might say to yourself, well, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you have to be a friend of the world in order to be an enemy of God. I understand. But if we look at the witness of the scripture as a whole, ask yourself a question. God's people, do they usually, A, go along with one of the bigger groups of people in their culture, or B, stick out like a sore thumb? Ask yourself the question, did the early church, did it A, go along with a big think tank within culture, or did it B, stick out like a sore thumb? Being a friend of the world is about failing to see the divide between the way of God and the way of people. There is a huge chasm between those two things. God's ways are dramatically different than the world's ways. There is a wide path that leads to destruction, and that is the way of the world. There is a narrow path that leads to life, and that is the way into salvation. The upshot is that we ought to look very different from the world. If you're wondering what the way of people is, I just described, it's a way that we all know. In fact, as I was writing this sermon, I heard in the background my wife ask my son why he hit my daughter. And my son said, and I quote, Junie's being mean to me, so I'm being mean to her. <laughs> as I was writing this, I heard it. I was by, uh, my, my door was closed. I was writing it. I was letting Erica do the parenting <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> Junie's being mean to me, so I'm being mean to her. And I mean, as honest as you could get, and I mean, he was just, I'm just explaining to you why. And in his mind, it makes perfect sense. And in our minds, it makes perfect sense. They're mean, so I'm mean back. That's how you do it. You want to know what the way of the world is? It's that. Do you dislike someone or something? Speak against them. Did somebody wrong you? Be upset. Does the world need to change? Politics and government, read we, can solve all of our problems. But you can't think and act the way everyone else does and then hope to be in good standing with God because God has called you to be set apart. 1 Peter 2, 9, if you'd like to turn there, 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter insists, but you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, you'll notice that Peter emphasizes that our set-apart status is intimately linked with declaring the praise of God who brought us out of darkness into the light and receiving mercy. I'm going to say that again. Peter emphasizes that to be set apart is to be a person who declares the praises of God delivering us by his mercy. Those who are friends with God, friends of God, are driven by his mercy and they are full of praise for God. Friends of God are driven by his mercy and full of praise for God. Our current climate, however, finds us driven by anger and full of doubt about God. Are we friends with God or with the world? I'm gonna say that again. Those who are friends with God are driven by his mercy and full of praise for God. They look different. Our current climate finds us driven more by anger and full of doubt about the goodness of God. So are we friends with him or of the world? Which one looks more like a friend of God? I want to look in James 4, 6 through 10 now. If you want to turn there with me. James 4, starting verse 6, says this, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. My second point, we're already on it, we're moving, is that your sin has broken the world, and it's your sin that you should focus on. Your sin has broken the world, and it's your sin that you should focus on. James is anchoring humility to an intimate knowledge of our own sin that drives godly sorrow leading to repentance. He's anchoring humility. He's saying, if you want to be humble, please understand how messed up you are, and then go to God. We would like to blame the brokenness of the world on everyone else. Every structure, every group, whatever. The brokenness of the world is here. It's me. I, if I put that responsibility on anybody else, am missing the point. It is my sin that crucified Jesus. It is your sin that crucified Jesus. It is my sin 
that has broken and is breaking the cosmos. It's my sin that has broken and is breaking our cultural fabric. Mine. The more I focus on yours, the less I can see clearly my own brokenness and sin and need for God. If I could do my own translation, if I would be so bold as to translate James 4, 6 through 10 in my own words, which, by the way, is a wonderful devotional activity. If you ever want to go read scripture and then write it out in your own words, uh, it can be really helpful for trying to grapple with what it is that the writer is saying. So I want to read James 4, 6 through 10 to you in my own words. It's God's grace that should have tipped you off to the fact that God will become your enemy if you are prideful. You want God's approval, but you disapprove of everyone else. Ha! If you really want God's favor, stop thinking so highly of yourself. Stop pretending like you can solve the world's problems when you can't even solve your own. And start recalling all the ways in which you are a hopeless, broken sinner. Let that realization drive you to your knees in desperate repentance. When you've gotten off your high horse and stay off it, God will lift you up. I was reading uh, in the Imitation of the Christ a few weeks ago, and there was a section that Thomas Akempis writes about. I want to quote it real quick. He says, Try to bear patiently with the defects and infirmities of others whatever they may be, because you also have many a fault which others must endure. If you cannot make yourself what you would wish to be, how can you bend others to your will? We want them to be perfect, yet we do not correct our own faults. We wish them to be severely corrected, yet we will not correct ourselves. Their great liberty displeases us, yet we would not be denied what we ask." We would have them bound by laws, yet we will allow ourselves to be restrained in nothing. Hence, it is clear how seldom we think of others as we do of ourselves. If all were perfect, what should we have to suffer from others for God's sake? But God has so ordained that we may learn to bear with one another's burdens. For there is no person without fault, no person without burden, no person sufficient to themselves, nor wise enough. Hence, we must support one another, console one another, mutually help, counsel, and advise. For the measure of every person's virtue is best revealed in time of adversity. Adversity that does not weaken a person, but rather shows who they are. I'm reminded also of Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, where Paul commands the church in Ephesus to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be completely humble and gentle. Ask yourself, this last week, this last, these last months, have you been completely humble, acknowledging your own sin and not the sins of others? Have you been completely gentle in the way that you've handled those? Or have you been more about, if you looked more like, who Thomas Akempis is describing. I, too, see the problems in our culture and in our world. But do not be mistaken. 
they are sin problems, and we cannot solve sin problems ourselves. We ourselves are sinners. We need God to change the world. We cannot act as if we can do it. If we wish to change the world, we have to start in our own hearts. It is our own hearts. But what I see is people trying to fix our culture and still be jerks to their spouses. I see people spending so much time reading articles and enamoring themselves in social media and listening to podcasts while ignoring even just reading the word of God. How can we become kingdom bringers and heal the nations while the kingdom is still absent from our own hearts and we have so much healing to do ourselves? Clearly, we cannot wait till we become perfect to start trying to change the world. If we do, then we'll never change the world. However, there has to be a balance here somewhere. You don't get to just start by thinking, you know what, I'm going to go change everything else before I've actually evaluated my own heart, my own sin, my own struggles. Have I truly internalized who Jesus is? And furthermore, do I have any proof to back up the fact with my life that I put others first and not merely pursue my own self-interests? This week, who did you sacrifice your life and your time and your energy for? Who did you give up of yourself so that you might serve and love them? That is the estimation in which James talks about when he says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my deeds. That will prove my faith. We are so concerned with orthodoxy. We're so concerned with thinking right. We've got all the right opinions. All the right opinions. Show me a person who loves those around them selflessly, committed to their well-being before their own well-being. I want to know what that person thinks. Do not care what you think unless the fruit of your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you don't have those fruits popping out of every nook and cranny of your life, perhaps that would be a place to start before you tried to somehow make that happen in our culture. If you can't make it happen in your own life, I want to make sure I'm clear here. Our culture and our world is desperately broken. Desperately broken. It is ugly. And we are called to be sources of light and healing in it. The question is simply how. And here I want to be clear again. The way the Lord changes and heals and wins back the world starts inside your heart. He cannot use you unless you are humble and graceful. He opposes the proud and lifts up the humble. He cannot use you unless you are full of humility and grace. And if you want to reform the world, let God reform you, and then he'll use you. You want to reform the world, and you should want to. That is a good desire. We should want to, and we should do it. But we must start by letting God reform our own hearts. You cannot reform a world 
that you yourself are a part of the problem in. The upshot is that we need to spend a lot more time taking a serious account of our own sins and shortcomings regularly. I'm gonna say that again. The upshot is that we need to spend a lot more time taking a serious account of our own sins and shortcomings rather than trying to create an account on everyone else's sake. We know about the sins and shortcomings and faults of all these public figures. We know about the sins and shortcomings and faults of all these other people. And yet, if I say, hey, you, what's going on with you? What have you done? Where have you broken the world? And where have you taken responsibility for it? And where have you confessed and walked into the light on it? We have desperately little. We need to pursue repentance, walk into the light, being confessional and humble. I'm reminded of 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Maybe that would be, in fact, I'm just gonna encourage you guys to read that at some point this week in your devotional time. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Reflect on whether you've walked into the light. Have you confessed your sin? Are you yourself working to overcome your sin? Have you acknowledged your own need for God? In that spirit, let me share some of mine with you. If you're okay with that, I won't go into too much depth because, you know, it's rough. But I do with other people. Last night, I got mad at my wife for not telling me she was putting the kids to bed. Like, mad at her. I was like, why didn't you tell me? She was like, I don't know. I mean, I thought you knew I was putting them to bed. I myself sat on the couch watching YouTube. Well, she did that, and I felt quite justified for being upset at her for not telling me that the kids were going to bed. How selfish. I'm not sure if I'm the only one who does this, but I regularly call people idiots when I drive. Like, all the time. I'm like, you idiot. And then I'm like, oh, like, sorry, God, didn't mean to do that. But in my heart, I know what I feel. I'm like, how could you be allowed to drive? How are they letting you? Because clearly, I don't make mistakes when I drive. I've never cut anybody off or sped too much or rode on someone's tail. Give me a break. How hypocritical could I possibly be? I am quite disgusted at how regularly pride attaches itself to every simple thing that I do. Do you know what I'm talking about? Simple things. I'm just working in my shop and having just a fun time, just building a like a little end table. I'm having fun. And I look at it and I'm like, man, I am so talented. <laughs> Is that gross? Yes. And that's the voice. That's the voice. That's pride voice in my heart. It's just Will Ferrell from any, <laughs> any movie, <laughs> right? That's it. I'm in my shop and you are good. You are good at stuff. Congratulations. And I'm like, I am. What the heck? Any good thing. Even when I do something humble, I do something good and humble, like for, for a good reason, my motives are right and stuff. And afterwards, I'm like, I knew you were a really godly guy. I'm like, dang it. There it is again. I thought a lot about my kingdom this last week and my finances. And I realized I had a lot more hope in that than in anything else that God's doing in the world. I'm thinking about building this backyard office. When I have the backyard office, then I'll be able to like, 
you know, I'll be able to use it for the kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be able to, like, have people over and have meetings back there and stuff. But really, it's a detached building away from my toddlers. (laughs) With air conditioning and space, no toys allowed out there. Man, I've got so much worse stuff going on in my heart and in my mind. But I do reserve that for the few friends and my wife that I weekly confess it to. I want to invite you guys to do the same thing. This is one way that it's hard to, uh, to stay prideful. Pride will always try to attach itself to you. But it's hard for pride to stay on someone who is regularly confessing their sins and walking into the light. I want to invite you to do that as well. I might be broken, but I am free. I guarantee you, I've got lots of problems, but I am free. That's the goodness of the Lord. Walk into the light and experience him purifying you of your sins. This last section is in James 4, 11 through 12. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James is like a puncher. And this is this last point. Stop placing yourself in the position of judge. Would you stop? Would you stop placing yourself in the position of judge? Do you realize that there's nothing anyone could ever have done to you? that would rightfully place you in the position of judge? You might say to yourself, that's not true. That's not true. Oh, isn't it? Do you remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? No? Guy goes to God, or sorry, goes to a judge. (laughs) Who knows who that is? So a guy goes to the judge. He owes him the equivalent of a few lifetimes. If you go and look up how much he owes him, he owes him the equivalent of a few lifetimes worth of wages. And the judge says, throw him in prison until he can pay back everything that, uh, I don't know how you pay back in prison, but throw throw him in prison until he can pay back everything that he owes me. The guy gets on his knees and he pleads with the judge and he says, please give me time. He doesn't say forgive me the debt. He just says, give me time to pay it back, which isn't that a funny little thing that we do with God? Rather than being like, it's too much. Let's be honest. I'm never going to be able to pay this back. (laughs) Instead, we're like, give me some time. I will pay you back. (laughs) The judge doesn't just give him time to pay back. The judge says, you know what? You're free of that debt. Life, think of that. Think of the crushing debt. Many of you have crushing college debt. Think of of way more than that. It's crushing. And then the judge just says, you're free of it, right? You're like, man, this is what a feel-good story. This is wonderful. That guy that just got forgiven the debt finds a guy that owes him the equivalent of one day's wage. One day's wage. And he rings him by the neck and says, pay me back what you owe me. And the guy gives him the exact same spiel as he just gave to the judge. And he throws him in prison anyway. Now, that's not where the story ends. Because the judge hears about this. 
he brings that guy back in and he says, you wicked servant. Wicked is a strong word. And I don't mean like wicked. I mean like wicked. You wicked servant. How much did I forgive you and yet you were unwilling to forgive them? Listen to me. You and I will never be in the judge's seat. As soon as you put yourself in the judge's seat, you become the wicked, unmerciful servant. Do you understand me? As soon as you put yourself in the judge's seat, you become the wicked servant. You have been forgiven. You live by grace. You could not have possibly earned it. You will never possibly earn it, no matter how much you do. There is only one judge, and it is not you. It's become so very popular, however, to spiritualize our worst tendencies. Since evangelicals have oversold the faith dimension in the past, we've become so very spiritual by doubting God and everything else. It's authentic. It's authentic for us to doubt. There's a social media group apparently called Do Better Church or something like that, where people just go on there and they criticize the church. It would be like me walking into a hospital and being like, all these idiots are sick. (laughs) Idiots. That doesn't make any sense. As if somehow you're supposed to be the one that's criticizing the church. Guys, listen, if you want to look at a biblical example, it's not you that judges the church, it's the church that judges you. That's the way it's supposed to go. But we've become so individualistic And we've become so self-righteous in the way that we judge the church. You who say you have a problem with the church, do you yourselves not have a problem? You might say to yourself, well, I should call out the problems in the church. Do you also call out the good things in that church? Do you hope for them to be perfect? And your, your goal is to call out only the problems in that church? Or do you also, are you a, a, um, an outspoken proponent of that church as well? What kind of parent would you be if you only called out the problems in your children? Do you think God does that to you? So whereas there are problems in the church and there are problems in our church, before I go and speak publicly about them, I would need to ask myself a lot of questions about myself, my problems, my motives, and whether I've actually been in in it to actually support the church. I wonder how self-righteous we would be If God put on the screen behind me all of your sins and your problems as you posted on that, as he bent down and wrote in the sand all of your stuff, would you be the first to throw a stone? We've learned this art of hypocrisy so very well. We can tell you everything that's wrong with our culture, our government, our church, or whatever, but we can't tell you what's wrong with us because we're the victim, that's it. In our minds, we are the main victim. We don't think of how we victimized. But regardless of whether we like it or not, there is only one judge, and his church is the extension of his power and the executor of his plans for the cosmos. You better be someone if you wanna sit in judgment on the church. Be somebody, be really important. Be somebody who has the ability to sit in judgment on the church. Otherwise, what I will say is this. My church is imperfect, but I've got a lot more imperfections that I know intimately about that I'll share about myself before I come out blasting on our church. We are broken, imperfect people, 
We should try to get better at the stuff that we're not good at, but I'm not going to be a critic of it. I'd rather be a critic of myself. Our culture is calling us to continually be judges, but I love what James says at the end there. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let me just ask you that question. Who are you? Or rather, who do you think you are? That's a good question. That's a James question, isn't it? Who do you think you are? Really, who do you think you are? It's a question that's gonna determine our take on the world. Are you a servant or a judge? Are you the worst sinner, as Paul would call himself? Or are you somebody that sits in judgment on others? You yourself so good. I'm gonna end with Luke 17, starting in verse seven. Jesus speaks this parable. Luke 17, seven. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? Then after, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's who I think I am. That's who I think we are. We are unworthy servants. Have our lives and our actions reflected that fact? Or have they reflected that we think highly of ourselves, that we are judges, whatever? So I'm gonna repeat James 4 in a nutshell, and then I'll say a prayer and we'll be done. James 4 in a nutshell. Look different than the world by being a source of light and grace. He says, look different from the world. That's the way to be a friend of God, to be a source of, of light to people and grace. Number two, look at your own heart and confess all of the wrong that's in it. Look at your own heart and repent confess your stuff. And number three, stop judging and instead take on the nature of a servant. Stop judging and instead take on the nature of a servant. I think that's what James is communicating to us. And I think we would do well to pay close attention to how those words might affect us. I know that they've certainly been extremely challenging to me as I've thought through what James is trying to communicate. I'm gonna say a prayer for us and then we're gonna have Kurt come on up and do a prayer. Father, I pray that in my own life, God, that you would convict me of sin and righteousness and judgment by your spirit. I pray that you would do that in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that you would teach us to be humble, Father. Teach us to be graceful. I pray that you would help us to weep and mourn and wail and grieve our own sin, Father, so that we can repent and come to you and perhaps then help others, Father, with the same grace that you've given us and the same mercy that you've given us that we would give that to others. We love you so much. We thank you so, so much for Jesus. Father, although these words are hard, and as I think about them, I think of all the ways that I fall short in them, Father, I pray that your mercy would not be lost on me. 
and that your mercy to us would not be lost on us. I pray that it would help us to become people who are loving servants, just like Jesus, giving up our lives for others. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kurt. Is that applause for me or for Garrett? <laughs> Garrett, I appreciate your, uh, your heart and your sharing. Um, anybody else limping right now? So no, I, I, I just, and, and that was just your, your thoughts on um, some of that. And because I know in the last couple of weeks, I, I, in my own brain, I think to myself, am I the only one that thinks like that? You know, when you get those crazy thoughts in your mind, either it's prideful thoughts or sinful thoughts or whatever. Sometimes I just ask God, I said, God, man, am, am I the only one that's crazy? has these crazy thoughts in my mind. It's very frustrating and all that, whether it's when I'm driving or whether I'm at work or whatever, you know, and, and how I treat people and things like that. And I just, it's like uh, Garrett's been saying this morning, it all starts with us confessing, uh, spending time with God, um, having people in our lives that can help us with that. And um, so I appreciate um, him sharing with that uh, one of the points, or one of the, not points, but one of his thoughts were start by letting God reform you, then you can reform the world. Think about what we as believers could do if we would let God reform us first. How much different things would probably look. Yeah, the world's going to keep going on and doing what the world's going to do, but what could God do with us if we let him reform us? We're going to end with another prayer and um, just lift up some things that are going on in the next couple of weeks. I want to just uh, focus on focus on focus um, and what's going on. They've got a retreat coming up and some and sickums coming up. I think that's right. What in the next couple of weeks? Okay, so we're going to lift up uh, those individuals involved. We want to lift up our school teachers and our students and things going on there. So um, go with me in prayer. God, I just want to thank you again for um, this time together and time to um, just listen to your word and be convicted. I thank you for Garrett and his um, thoughts from you, Lord. We know that you give him the, the thoughts to share with us, and as a body, we need to be convicted and um, to really think on things, Lord, that are going to help us in life. Lord, we have some... Um, focus events and school starting. And we just want to pray for our, our leaders and our staff that are going on the retreat this week. We just pray for uh, just a great time to be rejuvenated right before school starts. And we just pray for all of them. And we pray also for Sikkim that's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. And that uh, the, the individuals that are going, Lord, will be um, energized for the new school year, Lord. And I know the last year and a half has been pretty crazy with COVID, with school and all that. And we look forward to students coming back on campus. We, uh, so we just pray for those um, focus leaders and staff and everyone that's going to be involved in just ministering to students and, and loving them on and pointing them to you. Lord, we also pray for the uh, start of school for our um, teachers that are here and, and that are, are either working in our schools and universities and for our students that are going to be going, Lord, we just pray that this year will be hopefully uh, a little more normal, whatever that looks like uh, for them, and that they can um, get a chance to um, get back into uh, doing some of the things that um, 
will be more normal. Uh, Lord, we just pray for them uh, and, and opportunities for them to be Jesus with skin on to the kids that, that they teach. Lord, we just pray for uh, COVID and people that are experiencing COVID and just the dealing with all of that. Um, and uh, Lord, just protect us and, and continue to watch over us as we um, continue to move through that and help us to be uh, smart and safe and all that. Lord, we love you and thank you for uh, Denton North Church and we thank you for our community. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.